for a lot of bands, it's almost like this cosplay of getting to be this dark thing that everyone's already projecting that onto because you like dark music or you had, and you dress weird and have weird long black hair and you know you're all pale and you're hanging out in the woods with your friends. Hello and welcome to Your Magic. I'm Michelle T, and today I'm going to be in conversation with Courtney LaPlante, the dynamic front person for Spirit Box, a vocalist whose range goes from angelic to demonic. We're going to talk about outsider culture, seances, and adulting. After that, we hear from radical, multidisciplinary goth composer M. Lamar about creating personal change through breath. Stay with us. We want to announce that if you love listening to your magic, now you can join us for more witchy content by supporting our work on Patreon. As a thank you, you'll get a weekly newsletter for $1 a month, a monthly new moon astrology podcast for $5, starting with this week's new moon in Scorpio, okay? A spot in our patrons-only book club for $15, and my $30 a month witch workshops, where we'll dive into tarot, witchcraft, and more. The making of this podcast has always been a labor of love, and we do need your help to keep making it. Join our community at patreon.com backslash thisisyourmagic. Okay, listen up. I live in Los Angeles and I don't drive. I've never driven. Okay, that is not technically true, but it's safe to say that until my fiance gave me my first driving lesson in a cemetery last month, I had never driven legally. Back when my high school peers were getting their licenses, I was very busy focusing on my burgeoning career as a teenage alcoholic. My parents didn't have the money to pay for lessons or even the license fees, so that meant it would come out of the paycheck I earned at the grocery store a paycheck that barely covered my weekend vodka and cigarettes, my British import goth records, my thrift store lace dresses. Forget it. Living just outside Boston, the MBTA took me everywhere I wanted to go, and I could get lost in whatever Anne Rice book I was reading while they got me there. When I moved to Tucson in my early 20s, my then-girlfriend at the time tried to teach me to drive in the desert. I backed into a signpost, wedging it into the door, and when she got out to pull it off, I forgot I was in reverse, and then I backed the signpost deep into her finger. That was my last lesson with her. Once on vacation in Hawaii in my late 20s, I talked my then-girlfriend into letting me drive our rental car down a jungly road, but the experience gave her a legitimate panic attack, so that never happened again. These experiences, and others, have bolstered an idea about myself that I'm too airy, too Aquarian, too spacey and ditzy, and perpetually lost in the ether to drive a car. These reads have been more or less co-signed by many of the people in my life, and I am very grateful I wasn't able to drive while actively drinking. Sometimes I enjoyed this idea of myself as too otherworldly to operate a vehicle, and sometimes it made me feel deficient in some crucial way. Like everyone drives, all sorts of folks. Am I really that low on common sense? When I found myself at age 49 suddenly divorced in Los Angeles with a child, I knew the jig was up. I needed more independence. I needed to not be spending so much money on ride shares. I needed my kid to be able to access the world, and I was his ride. Because of the pandemic, it took me a full year to be able to sign up for lessons, but I'm doing it. I'm 50, and I'm needing to reconsider this idea of myself as too ethereal, too mystical for such a challenging yet mundane responsibility. It's great to have an honest assessment of your limitations, but it's also important to interrogate them, to root out whatever insecurities or discouraging voices might be contributing to your conclusion. 
which is light a candle for me, will you? I'm spending the fall as a student driver and I need all the positive energy I can get. And after you hear my conversation with Courtney LaPlante, you might want to light one for the both of us. Here she is. Hi, Courtney. Thank you a lot for being on your magic. So, you know, you know, often, usually when, when I do this podcast, I ask people if they have a spiritual practice, but I kind of know that you have a, it seems like pretty clear from like your music and stuff that you do have a spiritual practice. And I just want to ask you if you're a witch or what? No, I don't have any spiritual practice at all. Really? I just love, you know, especially religious imagery, especially like Catholic and just Christian religious imagery. I grew up in the church and it's just such, it's like the ultimate powerful imagery for me, even in a neutral way. I just like iconic, I like iconic imagery. It's very powerful for me and like evokes, you know, it's just most of us like grew up in church. It's how we were taught the the difference, the lessons. And so I'm always, it's always going to be something I carry with me for how I try to express myself in my music. And I also just like to subvert a lot of that stuff, like to use for my own imagery. But no, I'm, I'm really fascinated by all religion or spirituality, but I'm not, a, I'm not pra- uh, practicing anything at all. All that stuff, I, it's more so me trying to explore like being a woman and what's been projected onto us throughout history and throughout like pretty much every society of like any negativity, it's usually projected on us in a way of like someone not understanding us. Like it gives me a lot of peace to to use some imagery from that in my music when I'm trying to kind of figure out myself. I grew up Catholic also and went to Catholic school. So I know how y- you get marked by it, whether you like it or not. And it, there's a lot of sort of trying to figure out intellectually like what to do with the the draw to the imagery and the romanticism of it and then like the reality of of it but i'm i'm trying to collect start a collection like images of nuns in like some sort of intense emotion like i have this one painting i found at a thrift store of this like weeping nun and then i just found like a little wall hanging that's like this nun in ecstasy like with her head thrown back in like this like wash of god light coming in you know the convent windows yeah and there's something like i find like so much of that stuff like really sexual like it's so like weird it's like so anti-sexual that it's sexual (laughs) to me (laughs) um it's so repressive and so i don't know i just always have been like i've always been fascinated by it and i had a weird growing up too where i started out catholic but i lived in the deep south and we were considered very weird and uh, and then I started, I, I switched over and I started going to Methodist church because I wanted to sing and we could sing cool like rock and roll songs in, in that church. So I started going to church with my, my little boyfriend when I was like 14. I was like, oh, this is more fun. But and then I realized that I realized that I just really like I liked people clapping and me performing, not so much Jesus. Oh, I love that. You know, I was thinking about like metal and just like how metal has just like forever had such a relationship with like the occult like or at least the imagery of the occult at least the sort of performance of the occult if not actual occult I'm just wondering like do you take inspiration or power from that or how do you interact with it I kind of look at it in the same way as like references from religion because it's just so powerful Um, and then the occult stuff is so interesting because it's both like so mainstream and then so mysterious at the same time. I'm really fascinated by the Victorian era of people. 
when I think of that era, I think of like such repressed people, but then there was stuff that they would do back then that would be considered really over the top and like dark now, but that they would just, you know, like do for fun and on a Friday night with their friends. Like, like I just think it was so weird how in, in a cool way, how like commonplace like seances um, and pr- like very performative seances were where it wasn't really about actually it didn't seem to really be about you know any sort of you know true meaning of that it was it was just purely entertainment you I just always thought they were too like puritan religious people to be into that kind of stuff but they were really they were they were freaky and they liked that stuff but I think that I think that metal is really they we I think we're so fascinated by that because if I try to like analyze most of us we felt where it's like very like outsider culture it's like outsider culture than the finding like-minded people and i think that's why like band t-shirts are just so prevalent for us it's like a way of identifying one another for a lot of bands it's almost like this cosplay of getting to be this dark thing that everyone's already projecting that onto because you like dark music or you and you dress weird and have weird long black hair and you know you're all pale and you're hanging out in the woods with your friends i think of it more of like the satanic panic age right you know like in the 80s where everyone everything that ever happened it was like satan it was it's kids they like satan (laughs) you like in the 80s and stuff yeah even into the 90s totally so how did you find your way to metal then if you were like just like a more pants focused teenager how did you get there i started out making a band with my little brother and we were kind of we really liked Rage Against the Machine so it was kind of like Rage Against the Machine like with singing but not like Audio Slave. We were kids so we just started discovering new bands and new music that influenced us and just slowly but surely I realized I was in a metal band. Just something that happened to you. Yeah it just it just happened because I just always I just analyze like compartmentalize each song and I just think of it like what vocal is going to best serve the song? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 10 years later, the I'm like, oh, my God, I do screaming. Cool. You do screaming. You really, really do. I mean, you have such a gorgeous, like a traditionally gorgeous singing voice. And then you sound like a freaking demon. How did you know that you could do the screaming part? Or, or like, what do you remember when you first took a chance? When I was starting out doing music, you know, I never actually could hear myself sing. It was just always, all I could hear was drums and guitars and couldn't hear anything. So it's like I was, I was sheltered from my own mediocrity. And therefore, I never had the chance to be extremely self-conscious until I was older and could hear myself and I had strengthened up my my talent a little bit. You don't have a ton of peers as female vocalists that like do the stuff that you do. Like, is there anyone that like you felt inspired by or feel like you're in a lineage with? Well, funny enough, the band that I was in before Spirit Box was called I Wrestled a Bear Ones. Mm -hmm. They were like a scene, like MySpace cool weird band that came out of nowhere and I was a big fan of them and they were not the first bands to do this just the first bands that I had been exposed to where I didn't feel like the woman who was the vocalist of the band was having to be hyper feminine to counterbalance the perceived masculinity of what she was doing yeah and so I I was so fascinated by that band and just by the way that she carried herself and the way that she would do screaming because it wasn't it, it wasn't about like doing screaming but also still look hot i was really inspired by that band and then i ended up joining the band when she quit the band so 
I found myself filling in and joining the band on Warp Tour when she suddenly quit in 2012. That is wild. What a destiny to have to like get to end up being the front person for like a band that you love. Like that's that's wild. Listen, I would love to pick tarot cards for you. And I know what you're going to ask because I got an email and I got to say you want to know about your fear of driving. And I learned this yesterday right after my very first driving lesson. I am also a non-driver <laughs> who's trying to, to, to drive. So will you tell me, like, do you drive? No. No, okay. I don't have my license, and I've never had my full license. I've just only ever had my learner's permit. Same. I, I got it when I still lived in Alabama, and you can get it there when you're 15. And I got it right away. And then I just became so scared to drive. You know, I'm 32 now. So it's been 17 years I've been able to drive. And I I just never did it. There's like financial reasons, like not ever being able to afford to have a car. So why bother? Same. I have five siblings in my family and we had one vehicle. So it's like, when could I ever use it? But all those things were just purposeful, like distractions, in my opinion, for me to never have to do it. And then I've always had like, my like my for instance my lovely husband I always say he's my enabler because he's so kind and he wants me to be safe so he drives me everywhere so that's why I didn't ask will I ever get my driver's license I asked will I ever overcome my fear of driving because I've gotten my learner's permit a ton of times I've I've actually like I always I always pass it with flying colors because I cram and I study so hard because I am so scared of failing it and then I just never use it ever and it expires I can't even tell you how your story is my story. I've done the same thing. I've got my learner's permit right now. It's the third time I've had it. I've never taken an actual driving lesson. I just had like my fiance took me driving in the cemetery yesterday, um, but it wasn't like a, a like a official lesson, you know. And um, and it is really scary. I had at different points during the drive. I was like, okay, when you're done, you can burst into tears, but you can't burst into tears until you're like out of the driver's seat. That was just the feeling of like so much like energy of like fear and anxiety and just like the voice saying like, you're never going to be able to do this. How would you do this on a highway? You know, just all these like. Yeah. Okay. So here's what I think about your question. You want to know like, will I ever stop being afraid of driving? And it just seems like in general, when you're an adult and you've got a fear that you've like cultivated and and fed and nurtured for, for many years, the fears just don't go away, right? So I have a couple ideas. One is we can ask, like, like, what does it look like for you to face your fear of driving? And that could happen in a few different ways. I mean, that could happen through therapy. That could happen through fucking doing it and going and getting your license, right? And, like, figuring out some way to be held accountable for that. Or we can ask, what does it look like if you go towards your license and set up some sort of system with people in your life to be held accountable? Yes. That's what I need to do. That's the one? Okay, all right. I'm shuffling right now. What does it look like for you just to, like, do this in spite of the fear and just trusting that, like, you are a capable person, you're an intelligent person, you've, like, done all kinds of against-the-odds things in your life, and this is something that every dumb schmuck in the world knows how to do, and so, like, certainly you will not, is guaranteed you will not be the worst driver in the world. And then what about 
you know, some sort of accountability system with, with people who keep you, instead of enabling you, I've had a lot of partners that enable me too, but like getting some agreements going with folks in your life to keep you accountable and staying on track. So what does that look like for you? Listen, you are ready to deal with this is what I'm seeing here in the tarot. And part of the reason you're ready to deal with it is because this like sort of like um, plateau you're at, this sort of like holding pattern is getting a little boring. You got that the first card that came up in your three card spread is the Ten of Cups. Some decks show the Ten of Cups as a very celebratory card. In the Toth deck, it's about, um, it's called satiety, and you're like, it's about being, it's about you've gone as far as you could go. It's an emotional card, which is your element as a water sign, right? It's cups. And it's the ten. It's like you've gone as far as you could go in this narrative about yourself, in this story about yourself. You know intimately what it looks like. You don't need to necessarily get to some sort of like psychoanalytical bottom of your fear. You're just scared to drive. It's a common fear. It is scary. You're in so much control and yet you feel out of control. It's a very strange experience. And so, you know, it makes sense that you have it and it seems like you're even so aware of your own like using different things as excuses, but really it's just the abiding fear that's keeping you from it. The tens precede the ace. You know, the, in the tarot, it's all cycles and it all turns over and begins again. So when you have a 10, it's like you've reached the end of a cycle. So this is really important that this came up. You've reached the end of this particular cycle of you know, avoiding this, justifying it, you know, allow, allowing enabling to happen and you're ready for something to kind of shake it up. Your next card here is adjustment. This is a really interesting card for this. It's, you know, it's a Libra card and it's about harmonizing and balancing opposing emotions. It's the sign of balance and it's funny cause like Libras are always like super unbalanced. It's because like balance is hard and they are the embodiment of how it is very hard to be balanced and serene. And it's like, you're going to have to adjust here to something. You have to adjust to your fear and accept that, you know, you can, have fear and be brave at the same time. In fact, are you even brave if you're not feeling fear? If, and you know, the adjustment card is a riff on the justice card. And it's really funny because it's not like whether or not you drive is like a moral issue. It's not. But it can in a person's life be about like what is right for you and what is wrong for you. And I think that maybe it's right for you to face this and it's time for you to face it. And the justice card is coming up saying like, be merciful on yourself. Be a merciful judge. Like, don't judge yourself harshly, you know, for not having done it, for avoided it. And also be a, be a merciful judge on yourself as you learn to do something new. That is scary, right? She's she, And she's also like Athena, the goddess of knowledge, is often, you know, in the, in the tarot, that's the archetype for her. And it's just a great female icon of knowledge. And so this is like a new bank of knowledge that you're going to have access to, you know? So that's something to think about. And then this is my favorite. This is your final card. Pleasure. Six of Cups, again, <gasps> you're in your element. You go from satiety, which is like kind of bored, kind of over it, kind of like sick of your own story, to pleasure. Like, oh, uh, feeling really emotionally on top, like good. It's Sun and Scorpio, which is really interesting because Scorpios, you know, Pisces don't really care about power. Pisces are just like, power schmauer, like, it's, it's just, I'm just not interested in it. Scorpios are like, I like the power, I like the control. And there is something about driving that really leans on those aspects of a personality. Like, you've got to claim the power that you have when you're behind the wheel. You know, you've got to rise to the occasion of needing to be in control. And it's like, it looks like these are maybe aspects of your personality that are a little latent, a little dormant, but they can come out 
through this process, and it might even be fun. It's still scary, for sure, but there's something attractive about it. And, yeah, I mean, you're going to look so cool in a car behind the wheel. Yeah, it makes me feel like I'm an adult because I right now my life revolves around how can I like least inconvenience other people but still maintain my objective my whole life you know if I revolves around like trying not to inconvenience people like I'm not comfortable with the truth of me driving like I'm not the kind of person to go hey I need to take me to this right now and also just being on tour for so long I was I was on tour and away from home from like 2012 to 2016 pretty much and so I never had to, I never had to drive. I was always on a bus or being driven around. And so there's just been so much to, that's made me not have to deal with it. So those cards are like, that's so cool. I've never had a reading done before. Oh, oh, well, I'm honored to uh, be giving you your first. It's really it's so exciting. I also like to do um, a card pull with this deck. It's called the Vessel Deck, and it's an oracle deck. I picked three cards for you to help you deal with your fear. The first one, this is so interesting after what we were just talking about, power. Yes. So it's like, what are the issues of power? Where are you afraid to grab power? Where is power intimidating to you? Where do you think it would be fun to have power? What what aspects of being a driver are powerful in a way that's attractive to you that you want to go towards, you know? And where is it scary so that you can acknowledge that and not have it be, you know, maneuvering you from behind the scenes, you know? The next card is very, like, it's the self-doubt card. And that is really it, right? I mean, it's like, can I do this, you know? It's wild. It's it's such a basic thing. that I mean, I'm looking out my window right now in California. All I see are cars. All I see are cars driving around. People are driving cars. This is the most common thing in the world. And yet it seems so insanely, like, can I do it? And so really, like, facing your self-doubt and seeing that it, that's all it is. It's self-doubt. It's not like oh, you have some kind of condition that makes it so that you can't drive. Your condition is self-doubt, right? So so really working with that. And then your final card here is called make. It's like make it happen. Just doing the work, just doing the work, building, you know, one action after another, uh, you know, until you've kind of dealt with your self-doubt, both in your mind and in real life by getting out there, getting in the car and claiming the power of the driver. I have to. This is really cool for me because it's like I can't there's nowhere else for me to run from all this stuff like everything's telling me to just do it because I just think it will you know I feel like I'd be a better friend and a better wife and a better sister and daughter and stuff if I could have some agency and and help myself because in doing that it will help all the other people that surround me that have allowed me to live a good life like this without having to drive. You know, I'm the kind I was always the kind of kid where like I wanted to dominate everything and be the best at everything. And then to the point where I wouldn't I did the 300 meter hurdles in track, not because I love I don't love and I'm not passionate about the 300 meter hurdles. I just wanted to win and I couldn't win the 100 meter dash, but I could win the 300 meter hurdles. Like I just I only did stuff that I knew I was going to win or or you know, do a good job in, you know, that th- I feel I have a Leo rising and I feel like it also just makes me want to be like the shining star queen of everything. And if I think I'm not going to be like a fucking NASCAR driver, then why would I bother getting a driver's license? You know, yeah. so I relate, but we're going to do it. We're going to be drivers this time next year. We're going on road trips and we're behind the wheel. Thank you. And like, it's very, very special to me that 
I got to finally have a reading in such a cool way. So thank you so much. M. Lamar. I am a composer, a singer, uh, and a person who is struggling to be better spiritually, emotionally. I'm struggling to be uh, an embodiment of love, first for myself, and then to sort of help, hopefully extend that out to everyone else. When you're black and queer, black man, I'm a black male, identified queer person, I mean, the world is really not a beautiful place for you. Um, I, I, all the examples of the people that I love, black people that I love, have been able to move through a life uh, where all of these things are still present, you know, these things have been present forever, and live a life of joy and a certain kind of holiness and sacredness when one is singing, when it's taking these large breaths in and then slowly uh, exhaling those breaths as one makes sound. And so this is it's a very cathartic and very meditative thing. I mean, if you do this hours and hours and hours and hours and hours a day, it's going to be extraordinary. I mean, you're going to have these like this sort of like feeling of elation. What I'm offering today is this breath, is, is this kind of snore breath, primarily through the nose, this sensation where it's sort of behind your nose, and then really I feel the breath moving through my upper sinuses, and your upper sinuses are in between your uh, eyes or eyebrows and that sort of area. And then I feel like coming up into my hairline area. So this breath. And in terms of practical stuff, I'm using it as a reset for when I have anxiety in public spaces, when I feel someone's too close to me or, or I'm, I'm in danger. I mean, I'm, you know, sort of dark and macabre and goth. So I've been noticing that I have a lot of negative thought patterns. Many of us walk around with that all the time. You know, <laughs> we walk around in that state of like, you know, anxiety all the time. And it's really, what I'm noticing is that I, I don't need to do that anymore. That whatever kind of trauma that I've been working with for a very long time that started in my childhood, I don't have to be in that state of um, hypervigilance, of fight, flight, or freeze at every moment. And the breath helps me to sort of reset all that. And, it, and it, I, I guess it's, it's not just the breath, but it's this intention to be more loving. And I'm really, what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do with this reset is also to tell myself different stories. To tell myself stories about how I'm not in threat, uh, that I don't have to be hypervigilant, that I, I, am, I am safe, that I don't have to um, be constantly on guard, that I can allow more vulnerability, I can allow uh, myself to be g more generous um, to people. Because it really, if you're not, it has a, a negative effect on you. Uh, it's just stopping. And being very still. It's kind of like an instant drug thing. <laughs> like, it's just an instant kind of like uh, adrenaline thing. And, it, and there's a joyous thing that happens in that breath too. And that's been a revelation. Thank you, M. Lamar. If you haven't listened to M. Lamar's music, I really urge you to seek it out on the internet. It's haunting and passionate and operatic and goth, very performative, and working with themes like colonialism, blackness, and queerness, just to name a few. That deep and otherworldly intelligence you just heard infuses all of his work. I'm definitely going to use that breath on my driving lessons this week. And we hope this episode has inspired you to reconsider any limiting beliefs you might have had about yourself. Get out there and learn a scary new skill, why don't you? I'll light a candle on my altar for you, too. Thanks for tuning in to Your Magic. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at This Is Your Magic. You can subscribe to us right here on Spotify, too. Do what you need to do to never miss an episode. 
And you can support us, plus get access to a whole bunch of bonus content at patreon.com backslash thisisyourmagic. You can also email us at hello at thisisyourmagic.com. We'd love to hear from you. This episode was produced and edited by Molly Elizalde, Tony Gannon, and Vera Blossom. We got production support from Raven Yamamoto. Our executive producers are Ben Cooley, myself, and Molly Elizalde. Our original theme music is by John Kimbrough. Tune in next week for a conversation with Melissa Lozada Oliva. Thanks for listening.